since the beginning of the year, we have been going through the book of John and just looking at the question of who is Jesus. And this is our second to last week. And uh, one of the things that we uh, are looking at today is something that I, I think is something um, really that everybody wrestles with in some way or another, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian or unsure what you believe. But we all, all of us, I think, wrestle with questions about faith, about Christianity or, or doubt, if you want to call it that, questions and doubt. And that can be big questions. It can be um, things that, that are just like debilitating to you in such a way that, man, just as you go through life, I mean, I've talked with people that have, they struggle, and people that are Christians, but struggle with doubt in such a way that it's just depressing and it's, um, it, it causes anxiety and it's just something that really just kind of covers your life or it can be something that's just kind of in the background maybe, just kind of lingering back there. It isn't necessarily a debilitating emotional experience, but it's in the background that there's doubt and there's questions and there's things that you're unsure of that are just kind of always sitting back there. And that can happen because of experiences in our lives that we have. We go through certain things that create questions and they never really get answered. They just kind of sit there. It can happen because we've had intelligent people in our lives that come to us and say, hey, well, what about this? And what about this? And those things kind of sit there and they never really get resolved and they're just kind of hanging around. And this can be uh, doubts about kind of some of the content of faith, of Christianity, like does God even exist, or can I trust the Bible, or how could a good God allow suffering when we look at the world, or things like how could God become man, and man be God, and how do virgins have babies, and I mean just kind of, it can be some of the content of faith in Christianity, or it can be maybe not any of that, it's not particular specific questions like that, but it's more an experiential kind of thing where oftentimes in Christians, doubt is expressed actually as belief. So a lot of times with Christians, doubt is expressed as belief. Christians say things like, I know this, but I don't feel this. I know God cares about me, but there's something that I don't feel about that. I know that God is present with me, but I don't feel that. I know that God is in control of everything, but I don't feel that. A lot of times with Christians, doubt, and those are doubts because it's an uncertainty of belief. Doubt is actually expressed a lot of times in Christians as belief, but whether you're a Christian or not a Christian or unsure what you believe, I think doubt is something that we all struggle with, whether we know what those doubts are and we say, I have a problem with this and I don't know about it, or if it's just kind of a experiential kind of thing where there's aspects about God that we say, I believe it, I know this, but I'm uncertain of it in some way. I think doubt is something that all of us experience and wrestle with and have questions about and live with. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Whether you're somebody that is exploring Jesus and faith and you go, man, I've got all sorts of questions and doubts and so what do I do with those, or you're someone that's a Christian and maybe been a Christian for a long time and has all sorts of things, though, that you go, I'm uncertain of this, or I know this, but I don't experience this. What do we do with that? 
And I think that doubt can be one of the most helpful things in our lives. And this is what I want us to look at as we look at this chapter. And we're going to look at chapter 20, starting in verse 24. And says this, now Tom, so let me just catch you up for a second if you haven't been here or don't know the story. I'm going to just go back really quick to this. Um, Jesus died, and then he resurrected, and then some of the disciples saw him. And Thomas was the only kind of key disciple that wasn't there when all of this went down. So some of the disciples saw him. They went into the empty tomb. He wasn't there. He comes back. He talks to them. He tells them, as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. That's, that's what we looked at last week. And one guy, one key guy, maybe you know, Thomas had you know, FOMO and he wasn't there and he, he missed out on the whole thing, right? And so this is what happens. Now Thomas, one of the 12, so Jesus had this inner circle of uh, followers, called the twins, that was just kind of his nickname, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So they're saying, man, he was crucified, but he's alive. But Thomas, a little skeptical, says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side where there was a spear that had gone into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. So previously, they had all been together in this room, and that's when Jesus appeared to them. Now, eight days later, Thomas is with them this time. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. and Put out your hand and place it. In my side, and do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John, the author of this book, kind of ends the book, and there's a, a postscript to the book that we'll look at next week. But this is kind of John saying, here's, here's why everything I've been writing, here, here it is. What I want to look at is we see this guy, Thomas, who many people know as Doubting Thomas, and yet doubt can be one of the most helpful things. But how is that true? How can doubt help us? Here, here's what you see. My mic's giving me a little trouble today, so hopefully we don't have uh, too many of those sounds, but how can doubt help us? Here's what happens. Thomas is told by his friends, Jesus is alive, right? He's told by his friends, Jesus is alive, we've seen him, and Thomas isn't quite sure about that. Now, I don't, I don't know what's going on with Thomas, but think about if you had a friend, close friend, that died, and you know he's dead, you know he's crucified, and yet there's something in you that goes, I don't know. I don't know if he's alive. Your friends, your friends say he is. What if you had a friend that died, and all of your friends told you, no, actually he's alive? Would you immediately believe that? Would you immediately go, oh, okay, yeah, he's, he's good, he must be there. Or would you wonder, I don't know. 
Even if all my friends are telling me this, I don't know if I would believe it. Even if all my friends say, yeah, this friend that we loved, he's actually alive now, would, would you believe it? I don't think I would. And I don't know what Thomas has had happen in his life, but if you've ever had disappointments in your life, and if you've had disappointment kind of stack up upon disappointment upon disappointment, and then you start to go, man, I don't really want to get my hopes up about anything, right? So somebody says, hey, there's this awesome thing that's going to happen, and maybe you're a little cynical. And so I don't, I don't know what's happened in Thomas's life, but I know that even if all my friends told me, hey, you know that friend that we love that died? Yeah, he's alive now. I don't, I don't think I'd believe it. And so Thomas is in this place of doubt, classically called Doubting Thomas, where all of his friends tell him Jesus is alive, and he doesn't believe it. He doesn't want to get his hopes up. And you know what we see? It's not bad. There's nothing in here that says, what an idiot, what a dummy, can't believe he didn't believe. You know what we actually see happen? Thomas has all these questions, or really just one question, and it's not bad which I know from talking with many of you and other people, that's different from a lot of how we grew up. So maybe if you're someone that grew up in the church or you're someone that had Christian friends or Christian parents or grandparents, a lot of times what happens is this. You have questions. You have doubts. And what you're told is, just believe. You have doubts and you have questions and you're told, hey, we don't, we don't talk about those kinds of things. We don't ask those kinds of questions. Just believe. But that's not what you see happen here. What you see is Jesus really has compassion for Thomas. What you see is that Jesus cares. So Jesus shows up, and he knows where Thomas was struggling. Thomas tells his other friends, hey, I'm, I'm not going to believe unless I see wounds in his hands and put my finger in them, which to me is kind of freaky. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to believe unless I can wiggle my fingers around and where his spear was. And like, Thomas, that's creepy, dude. That's what I would have said if I was Jesus. I'll show you, but just so you know, this is weird, you know. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus says. But Jesus shows up, and he knows exactly what it is that Thomas is struggling with. And he doesn't, he doesn't disdain him for it. He shows up, and he says, Thomas, I know, I know what your questions are. You want to see my hands, and you want to see my side. And he has understanding for him. He has compassion for him, which is true of us too. You know, whatever questions you have, if you're not a Christian or you're a Christian and there's those things that you go, I know this about God, but Jesus doesn't look at you with disdain, just like with Thomas. He's, he knows those specific areas and he has compassion. And what does Jesus do with Thomas? He invites him to explore his doubts. Jesus doesn't just show up and kind of put his hands down by his side and cover up his side and go, Thomas, you need to believe. He shows up and he says, Thomas, I know the particular things you're struggling with. Come, come check it out. Come look. Here's what this is saying for us, for those of us, which I think is all of us in some way or another, have doubt or have questions about our faith or about the faith if you're not even sure what you Believe Jesus isn't scared of whatever questions and doubts you have. He's not. When, when he sees Thomas, he invites him to come to him. He says, you've got questions, you've got doubts, you've got struggles, so come to me and come check it out. 
That's Jesus' heart and his posture towards Thomas. Isn't that amazing? So many of us, I know, and myself included, what we've experienced is just believe it. Don't ask those questions. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, you can explore these things that you're wrestling with. You can explore these things that you have doubts about, that you have questions about. But here's what often happens. And we can just be honest about this. Often what happens is we have doubts. Whether those are things that you go, I'm unsure of kind of some of these big questions about faith and Christianity, or it's some of those things that you go, I, I know this, I believe this, but we have doubts, we have questions, but they just sit there. And they just kind of sit under the surface, and we don't really do anything with them. They just kind of sit lingering. And what happens is this, our faith ends up actually really weak, but we're okay with it as long as it's not strongly emotionally affecting us, as long as it's not kind of messing with us, which sometimes happens, but as, not, as long as emotionally we're okay, we let that stuff just sit there. And it's kind of like if you have some sort of disease and the doctor says, hey, this is going to kill you, but you go, well, it's, nothing's harming me right now. It's not affecting me at all. I feel absolutely fine. And the next year goes by, and you feel absolutely fine. And the next year goes by, and you feel absolutely fine. And yet, it's still sitting there. And you don't have any impetus to deal with it. You don't have any reason to, to, to explore it or get healing there because you go, I'm, my life is fine. It's like mold growing in your house. And you know, if there's a little bit of mold or something, you're like, well, it's not killing anybody yet. My lungs are fine. But over time, what happens is it does come out. Over time, what happens is our faith is weak, and we're allowing it to be weak. We're not exploring, and we're not asking, and we're not struggling, and we're not wrestling. We just go, as long as, as, long as it's not emotionally affecting me right now in this moment, I let, I let it sit there. I let it sit there. And then crisis happens. Something bad happens. Some event takes place. And maybe you've had this happen. A lot of times somebody lets you down. You know, I've talked to a lot of people that had Christian friends that they looked up to and admired and maybe even a pastor or a parent. And that person did something. They go, well, man, if that person lets me down, crisis. Or, you know, one of the news stories this week that I'm looking at that's just so horrible is... Some of you saw this, the alligator that ate the two-year-old kid in Disney World. If you didn't see that, I'm sorry to bring that up, but horrible, right? But what do you do in that moment if one of the things that you've struggled with is, is God really good, but you've never really dealt with it? You've never really answered it. It's just kind of sat there because emotionally you're doing fine, and then crisis happens. What happens to your faith? Well, it's been weak. It's been weak all along, and something like that will destroy it. Or what do you do when you have a really smart friend, or you come across something on the internet, or some blog, or some website, and, and you all of a sudden go, man, I don't even know what I believe anymore. See, what happens is this. We all have doubts. Whether you know what those are, you know it's this particular questions that I have. 
or it's just some of that, I know this about God, I believe this about God, but I don't feel it, I don't experience it. We all have those types of things, but usually what we do is we let them sit there. We just kind of let them sit there as long as it's not emotionally affecting us, but then something happens, inevitably. Crisis in some way comes. Questions in some way come, and we're shaken. Or maybe we're not shaken. Maybe, maybe what happens is just that we have a faith that's just shallow. We just have a faith that's shallow because we're never going deep enough. Some people say things like, I've, I've always believed, especially those of you that grew up in the church. And you would say about your life, I've always believed. Oftentimes what happens is your faith is the most shallow because it's never been questioned and it's never been struggled with and it's never been wrestled with and it's never been explored. But you know what that means then? It means the faith isn't as strong as it could be because it's just sitting at the surface. Here's a question to ask yourself. Here's, here's part of how you know, is my faith shallow? Does it control you? Does every part, is every part of your life controlled by what you believe about God? Is every part of your life controlled by what you believe about God? If it's not, that's a faith that you have, but that's shallow. Because you're saying, I believe these things, but it's not actually changing. I mean, look, if you think about what we've been looking about, what we've been looking at about Jesus, even just the last couple weeks, he died, he was crucified. And this man that claimed that he was God and he's killed and then he resurrected and then he gives the church this mission. And man, if those things, even just those three things are true, that would radically shape everything we believe about God. And so sometimes we don't even know that our faith is shallow because we go, well, I've always believed. I've believed actually for years and years and decades and a long, long time, but does it control every part of you? Here's what happens in this story. Here's how doubt helps. Thomas has doubts. He's got questions. He doesn't know if Jesus is who he said he was. He doesn't know if Jesus is resurrected. He doesn't know if he believes that. And he's got doubt. He's got questions. But the story doesn't show that that hurt him. Authentic doubt, which means not just kind of this cynical attitude and you're just poking holes in things just for fun, but real doubt, real questions is often the basis for the strongest of belief. But if you don't ever explore those things or don't ever question those things or don't ever dig into those things, then what ends up happening is you have a faith that's shallow or that's shaken easily when crisis comes. That's why some of the people that have written the most and best and most kind of um, just intelligently and wisely about the Christian faith are people that struggle the most with doubt. And one of my favorites is C.S. Lewis, who was somebody that was an atheist and an agnostic and made fun of Christians and had all of these things that he saw as holes. And then... He wrote one of the books, Mere Christianity, that's been used now for decades and decades, that's been one of the most helpful books about explaining the Christian faith and helping many people actually come to faith because he had real doubt 
that ended up being the basis for deep, deep conviction and deep, deep belief. I know for me, I grew up in the church and always took everything for granted that I believed. And then when I was in high school, I don't remember exactly what happened or the exact year that it took place, but I was in high school and I was on the computer, probably listening to Napster and uh, playing, <laughs> taking a break from playing The Sims and uh, <laughs> killing my little people. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, don't, I don't remember how I stumbled across it, but there was something, I was going to say YouTube, but I don't think YouTube existed. So some chat forum thing that was talking about the Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson you know, film that came out about Jesus' death. And there was some, like, all these different comments about, well, Jesus didn't actually, uh, he wasn't even actually crucified, and this happened, and this happened, and all of these things that I had never, I mean, just all of these questions and things about the Bible and about Jesus that I'd never even heard, that I didn't even know were things out there that people believed. And I'm just sitting there scrolling, going, whoa, this is crazy. And I went to Barnes and Noble. You guys probably don't know what that is, but went to Barnes and Noble. <laughs> I actually made a joke about Barnes and Noble, how it's dumb, like, I don't know, maybe around Christmas time, and it's closed now uh, in downtown, because it's sad, just everyone buys on Amazon. So I went to Barnes and Noble and went in their religion section and got all these books about the Bible being, you know, a myth and about Jesus being a myth and about all, and I just read for hours and hours and hours and hours and went back and read again and went, and really for three years, read all of this stuff that I never even thought about before. And I had questions and I had doubts that I'd never even thought about that all of a sudden started to come up. And I can tell you that was one of the most helpful experiences in my life. Because on the other side of that, was able to go, man, I actually believe what I believe. And I feel like I have good reasons for believing what I believe. And I'm not scared of what I believe. I'm not scared to explore the doubts that are there. I'm not scared to explore the struggles that are there and the questions that are there. So how can doubt help us? Here's what you see with Thomas. Jesus invites him to explore those areas that he's struggling and he has compassion for him. He invites him to explore those things. He doesn't say, Thomas, you're supposed to just believe. He says, come look at my hands. Come look at my side. What do you need to see? And he invites him in. That's the first thing we see, is that authentic doubt can become the basis for the deepest belief. Thomas's confession here, my Lord and my God, is the penultimate confession in the whole book. It's the thing that really the whole book has been leading up to. It's the clearest, most concise confession of anyone in the book, and he's the one that doubted the most. He's the one in the book that says, I don't know if I believe it, and he was on the inner circle, should have believed it, but his doubt actually leads him to be the one that has the clearest, most concise, most beautiful confession in the whole book that John is showing to us as the climax, that Thomas starts with doubt and ends with deep belief, but why is deep belief so important? And, and here's what I mean. Why not just not rock the boat, right? If you've got questions and you've got doubts and, and they kind of sit there and they're not emotionally affecting you, so it's okay, you know? 
You go, yeah, I believe this about God, or yeah, maybe I've got questions, but, but it's not debilitating me in any way. My life's just kind of going on. Why, why not just you know, let, it, let it be? Why not just leave it alone? Why not say, yeah, I believe? You know, a lot of people, if they're pushed, will actually say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and yeah, I believe these certain things. But why is it that we need a deeper belief? Why not just kind of let that stuff sit there, and if it's not really hurting us, why not just go on? Why a deeper belief? John says that he is writing the book so that we would believe. And John's giving us this story, and he's saying, I'm telling you all of this stuff because I want you to believe. But why is that level of belief so important? Why not just kind of let it be where it's at? Why not just let it be and not, not make things more complicated? And John says he writes the book so that we would believe. But he says he wants us to believe, and this is what a deep belief is, he wants us to believe not just because he wants us to agree with the facts, right? John doesn't say, I'm writing this to show you this is true and you need to believe it. Because I'm writing so that you would believe, and that in believing, you would have life in his name. Now, what's John talking about there? You know, you know what that means? That's a different kind of belief. See, there's a kind of belief that says this. There's a kind of belief that says, I agree with these things, and, and yeah, they're there, and, but, but I believe this, but I know this, but there's that kind of belief. There's a kind of belief that believes certain things, but if you go, is it really controlling me? Are those beliefs controlling me? There's a kind of belief, and then there's a kind of belief that John is talking about, where he says, I want you to believe so that by believing, you would have life in his name. That means there's a different kind of belief he's talking about. Something that a deep belief leads into. Something that is an experiential reality that isn't so much just an assent to facts. That's not what John is after. John says, I wrote this whole book so you could see Jesus, so you would believe who he is. And his end game isn't that you just go, okay, sweet, I believe it. But I write it so you believe, so you have life in his name. You know what that means? It means... He writes so that we would experience and enjoy all the truths about Jesus that he presents to us. It means he's not just after an intellectual agreement. That's belief. He's after life. He says, I, I want you to believe so that you have life in his name. And those are very different things. You know, Sarah and I, some of you know, are in the process of adoption. And think about if we were to bring the kids home and they said, and I don't imagine having a conversation with a child like this, but let's say they said, you know, I believe that you're a good guy. You adopted me. So you must be a good person. You must uh, care about children. And you're probably pretty trustworthy. Maybe, you know, you're an adult. You're a lot bigger than me. Maybe you're smart. And they said, I believe those things. But one of the main things that kids that are adopted are going to struggle with is an attachment. 
And if those kids could say, yeah, I believe those things, but I don't really trust you. And in their life in our home was actually, they, they would say, you know, if the social worker were to call them and go, hey, how, how are they treating you? Yeah, they treat us good. Yeah, I think they're good people. Yeah, I think they're nice. Yeah, I think they're probably loving and smart. They would say that to the social worker. They would say, I believe that. But in their actual experience, they're still trying to, some of you know about adoption and foster care and those kinds of things. They're still hoarding their food. And they're still trying to protect themselves. And they're still, um, they're still holding at a distance me and Sarah. And they say, yeah, I believe these things. But what's their actual experience? What's their life look like? It actually looks like they're not enjoying those things that they say that they believe. See, that happens with us and God a lot of times. Say, I believe that God's good. Are you enjoying and experiencing life with a good God? I believe that God is in control of everything. Are you enjoying and experiencing life where you know, man, God's in control of everything? Because wouldn't that be amazing? You say, I, I believe that that God, is, that God is someone that hears my prayers, but are you experiencing life in the name of a God that you believe actually hears you? See, John isn't just after belief to facts. He says, I write this so that you would believe, and I write that you would believe so that you'd have life in his name. See, I would want my kids that we adopt, I would want them to question me. Meaning if they said, yeah, I believe you're good, but I would want them to talk to me about that. But what? Because I want you to, man, we love you and we care for you and we want you to enjoy that we're good. We want you to experience that we're good. So I would say question. Like if you've got, if you're not sure about my goodness, question me. If you're not sure about how we run the home, question me. Because I want them to experience I'm safe in this home. I'm loved in this home. I'm cared. I want them to actually experience it, not just tell the social worker it's true. That's what John writes for us. This is why a deep belief is so important. Doubt, when we actually explore and wrestle with the questions we have, real doubt leads to a deeper belief. And a deeper belief is important, not just so we know all the facts, but that way we actually experience the things that we say that we believe. For those of us that are Christians and for those that are not Christians or exploring the same thing. John doesn't just want you to know facts. He wants you to experience. See, I asked, does your faith control you? Another way to ask that is to say this, what's most real to you. That's where, that's where our doubts and our questions, often unresolved, play themselves out. What is most real to you? The chaos of the world, your world, your life, the chaos, the things that are stressful and the things that cause anxiety and the things that are kind of out of your control that you wonder what will happen about this and what will happen about this and what will this person think and what will, is that what's most real to you? The chaos? Or that God's in control? What's most real to you? What's most real to you? Your wisdom of how you just logically think through things. Well, I think that this is a good decision. I think I should do this. And I think this would be good. Or God's word. 
See, if we actually, I'm just speaking to Christians right now, if we actually go, man, I believe this is God speaking to me, then what's most real to us is, so tell me, tell me about life. Not just, well, I start with my wisdom and I start with my things and I start with my logic and then I go and I see if it lines up or not. What's most real to you? The feeling of failure and the feeling of inadequacy or the feeling of I'm not enough. Is that real to you? Or is what's more real to you the fact that Jesus says, I love you, you're delighted in, I have grace for you, you're mine. You go, well, I believe that, but what's most real to you? What's most real to you? See, John wants us to believe, but he doesn't just want us to believe so that we get the facts right. He says, I write so that you would believe and that by believing you would have life in his name. He doesn't just want us to agree with and know that God's good. He wants us to experience life with a good God. He doesn't just want us to know and believe that God's in control. He wants us to experience life with a God that says, I'm in control. Those are very different things. And a lot of times, our belief is not deep, it's shallow, which means we don't experience life in his name, we experience, yes, I agree with those facts, but Jesus, what I love here with Thomas, what I love with Thomas is that Jesus wants something better for him. You know, when he, when he sees Thomas, Jesus could look at Thomas and he could go, Thomas, man, why aren't you believing? He doesn't say that. And Jesus doesn't say to Thomas, Thomas, you should believe. He reaches out to him, and you know, you can just see Jesus' heart here because it's John's heart that he then shares. He just wants more for Thomas. And he gives him an authoritative but gentle call and says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And that's a simple invitation. He's not shaming Thomas. He's not, he's not putting him down. He's not questioning why he doesn't get it. He just says, don't disbelieve, but believe. He's just calling him towards himself. He just calls him just as John is to us. What happens is if we, if we allow ourselves to explore our doubts, it leads to a deeper belief. And a deeper belief leads to what John wants for us, which is life in his name. And you know what happened to Thomas? And the Bible doesn't say this, but when you look at church history, Thomas was one of the missionaries that went the furthest. He went to deep, deep, deep India. And there's churches there that still exist that trace their roots to him. And so you had this man that was unsure of that People give this horrible nickname, which I think is so bad for, it's just dumb. One moment of a question, and now he's doubting Thomas. Like that, no one calls Peter betraying Peter, or, you know, I mean, I would hate that, right? Crap, I did one thing, and now, you know. And, but Thomas is somebody that, go, that is known as the doubter, the questioner, the skeptic. Goes the furthest in saying, man, I believe. I want other people to know this. 
See, deep belief comes from authentic doubt. And belief is important, not just to get the facts right, but because Jesus wants and John wants us to experience, do not disbelieve, but believe. I want something more for you, Jesus speaks into Thomas's life. Now that's nice, but how do we get this belief? Because Thomas got to wiggle his fingers around in Jesus's wound. <laughs> Weird picture, but that's what happened. How do we get that? Because Thomas had these questions and he had these doubts, but but he got to actually. Wa- he said, "Hey, I want to see. I want to see the marks in his hands, and I want." And some of us would go, "Sure, yeah." If Jesus showed up right here, and I got to stick my fingers in there. And then I would go, "Okay, I believe." Some of us would be like, "That's all I need." Just like Thomas, Jesus, if you give me what you gave Thomas, then I believe. But how do we get this belief? And John says. We don't get what Thomas got, but that he writes the book to give us what Thomas got. So he gives us this story about Thomas and says, this is the ultimate thing that the whole book is really leading up to. And he says, I write the book so that you would believe. He doesn't say, hey, pray for an experience like Thomas got and then you'll believe. He says, look, this is what happened with Thomas and I want it to happen for you. And here's how you get it. I write these things so that you would believe. And we can go, well, that, man, I I can't have a faith like Thomas could have. I, I can't have a deep belief if that's all I get. But you know what Jesus says? Jesus looks at Thomas and he says, you're blessed that you believe. But he says, those that believe and do not see are even more blessed. You know what that means? It means Jesus knows it's difficult to believe without him physically standing there. But he says, it's not second-rate belief. It's not second-rate belief to believe based on what John has written us. Jesus says, Thomas, man, it's great that you believe because you see, but there's gonna be a bunch of people after you that will not see anything. That's who John's writing to. There's going to be a bunch of people after you that will not ever be able to see what you see, and they will be even more blessed. And John says he writes us the book because he wants us to experience what Thomas experienced. Because he wants us to believe and he wants us to have life in his name. So so what does that actually mean for us then? You know what it means? It means this. First, it means three things. First is this. Identify those areas where you struggle and doubt. A lot of times when I talk with people that don't know Jesus or are kind of exploring things, they, they, they just know they have questions, but they haven't really thought through, here's really what my questions are. And I would say, man, identify those areas. Thomas did. Thomas said, I need to see his hands. I need to see his side. Identify those places that you go, I need to know about this. And for Christians, it's the same thing. When this air, these areas over here that you consistently come back to, that you say, I know this, but I know this about God. I know he's good. I know he's in control. I know he's gracious. I know he hears prayer, but those are the areas that you don't really believe. Identify those and go, here's 
here's what I have questions about. Here's what I have doubts about. Be honest with those things. That's the first thing. And then second, read. I know maybe that seems simple, but that's what John says. John says, you know what Thomas got? He got Jesus physically standing there. But John says, you know what I'm going to give you? I'm going to write some things for you. You're not going to be able to physically see Jesus standing in front of you, but I'm going to show you his life. I'm going I'm to show you his life. That way you would believe. That way you would have life in his name. So look, when you identify and you go, man, one of the things that I just doubt and I struggle with, that I actually say I know, I know God's in control, but I'm stressed and I'm anxious and I'm worried and I'm fearful and I, I know that God's in control, but John would say this, identify that like Thomas did and then read. Read looking for that. You say you know that God's in control. You know that he's, you know he hears your prayer. Man, read looking for that. You know, you know what I mean when I'm saying read looking for that? I'm saying that in your head you go, and I'm, I'm really talking to, to Christians right now on this particular piece, but when, when you open the Bible and you go, okay, I, I know that God is gracious, but over and over again I struggle with trying to prove myself and, and feelings of inadequacy. So then read the Bible looking for Jesus, show me your grace, because that's what I need to believe. That's what I don't believe. That's what I struggle with. So I need to read, John says. John says he writes, and really the whole Bible is the same. He, he writes so that we would believe, so that we would have life. So read intelligently in a focused way, looking for, I, I need to see this, God, because I, I wrestle with it. I struggle with it. I need to see it. Same thing is true for those of you that are exploring or unsure what you believe, and you go, man, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know about this whole thing of God and suffering, and how can those things exist together? Then, then open the Bible and go, that's what I'm going to explore. That's what I'm going to look for, and process that with other people. Process that with other people. Meaning, don't, don't even just do it by yourself. John says, hey, I, I'm writing this because I want to help you. And even just in that, we know we need other people to help us when we are trying to process through those areas of struggle and doubt. How do we get the belief? How do we get that life in his name? We don't get it the same way that Thomas got it. We don't get it by saying, well, if I could just see it, I'd believe it. We get it in a different way. But Jesus says it's not second rate. Jesus says, Thomas, you're blessed, but even more blessed are those that don't see anything. Do you believe that? I mean, that's just another question. Well, I believe it, but you believe what Jesus says? That he says, you are more blessed if you don't see. Or do you still think, no, it'd be better if I could just see it. Jesus says no. It'd be better if you could learn from John and you could learn from Matthew and you could learn from Paul and you would believe and you'd have life experiencing those things that you say you believe. And here's what happens when we do that. We ultimately see the same thing Thomas saw. Because you know what Thomas saw? 
Jesus walks up to him and he shows him his hands and he shows him his side. And Thomas didn't just go, okay, it's true. Why? Why didn't he just go, okay, yeah, it's, it's true. Because what is Thomas looking at? He's looking at Jesus' hands crucified and his side pierced. And Thomas doesn't just, the thing that comes out of Thomas's mouth is not just, okay, I was wrong, I, I believe it now. He says, my Lord and my God. Because something moves in his heart. Because he's seeing not just the proof in the pudding, but he's, he's not just seeing these identifiers that go, okay, yeah, that's the right body, the hands and the... He's seeing, whoa, that's what Jesus did for me. And when we read the Bible with that lens and when we're looking to see, we see the same thing. And, and when we take communion, that's what we remember. And even when we take communion, we might say, man, it would be nice to see Jesus die on the cross. But even Jesus says, you're more blessed for those of you that do not see and still believe. Even though we don't see his hands crucified and his side pierced, we remember it. We remember what he did for us. And like Thomas, we respond in saying, man, if he did this for me, we don't just go, it's true. We say, my Lord and my God. And we experience life in his name. So wherever you're at, whether you're someone that is struggling as somebody that's not a Christian and is not sure what you believe, Jesus would call you to explore. And for those of us that are Christians that go, I believe, but, I know it, but, Jesus says, I'm inviting you to explore, to believe, and to see what I've done for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come to you. And even though we don't see you, God, even though physically you are not here, and we don't get to see your hands, and we don't get to see your side, Jesus, you still tell us that we can have an experience of life in your name. You still tell us that we can experience all the things that John has talked to us about in the book, that you are the living water, that you are the true companion, that you are the true wine that brings us satisfaction to our souls, that you are God's very presence near us. All of those things you tell us we can actually experience, not just assent to in our minds. You tell us we can live in those things. And so my prayer for all of us, God, help us to come to you honestly weakly struggling with questions and fears and doubts and not be trying to just bottle all that in, but like Thomas, to come to you. And I pray that you would show us those things, even in your word, even tonight as we sing, that you would help us, though we don't physically see, to spiritually see and make those truths even more real in our hearts, Jesus.